Gil Alexander, your betting dork, pregame.com, Friday morning, and not just any Friday morning, it is a long weekend, Memorial Day, folks getting out of work early today, and we got a big capping weekend, and that's why I always bring in the heavy hitter, the bomber, Vegas runner, what's happening, VR? My man, good morning, good morning to the listeners, Memorial Day weekend, huge weekend here in Vegas, bro, as you could tell, I'm already wired up, it's not enough we have vacation and everybody coming to town it's huge here in vegas but uh we got ufc we got nba playoffs that have now taken a dramatic turn and uh, on top of that i got a bunch of friends coming in from philly rumor has it 20 plus for a bachelor party so a uh, big oh. weekend ahead and uh they're all expecting me to to pop out some winners for them so always when they come to town that's my hardest weekend most Something would think like, oh, you're going to take it easy and get to enjoy yourself. Just the opposite, bro. They depend on me to give them picks for them to, to bet. So I'm, I'm working harder <laughs> when they come to town. I was going to say. I do get a chance to hang out. So for me, that that's, you know, a, a plus always. And isn't it true that when your boys come, it, there's, there's no – there's no one who will bust your balls more on the picks than they will. Oh, dude, forget about it. <laughs> so forget true. Forget about it. You know, I, I could talk about that. That's a podcast in its own. No question. Before we go further, man, I want to congratulate you on a great play yesterday. Not only did you nail it, but you got down before the wise guys even stepped to the window with it. And that Oakland play got steamed two or three times. So they might have, must have seen some of the same things you have, you yeah. saw. And uh, I just want to congratulate you, man. I mean, it, it's one pick, obviously, but a uh, great call. And I uh, want to welcome you to the pregame family. You've been a, a great addition to the community already. But as a pro, I think it's just it's so much more you're going to offer. And I'm uh, really looking forward to working with you, brother. Well, thank you, VR. Very, very kind of you. And, um, yeah, you know, I'm, I, I couldn't be more thrilled. You have set the standard, my friend. I mean, no, no joke. And so I aspire to that. As, as Mike Hook and I will often say to each other, that is what we aspire to, the, the VR countenance. The, the... <laughs> I want you guys to surpass me, dude. You're a good kid, good, not a kid, you know what I mean. Great men that work hard, that are driven, and that are genuine and honest. And they're the kind of people that I like to see get ahead in life, bro. Well, you, so been... you and Mike are by far. I throw Dan in the mix, my favorites. Oh, and then of course Dan Beebe, who has been the kindest of all in the world and the most generous, and, and the NBA fiend Dan Beebe, of course, um, goes without saying. But I should say it. Yeah, I mean, uh, just a great community. And and again, um, from moment one, you have been a fine influence. So I really appreciate it, dude. Very generous. Thank you, brother. Um, it is a big weekend, and. I love it. And the sun is shining in Cali. It's supposed to get warm this weekend and a lot of great sports. Let's start with the NBA since that's the biggest thing going on right now. As you said, it's gotten very dramatic in both the East and the West. Three to two series, Celtics and Lakers up respectively after the Ron Artest prayer follow yesterday that put the Lakers up 3-2 tonight. Game six at Boston, which is really, and Ray Allen said as much, it's really Game 7 for Boston. Uh, Celtics favored by 3.5. Totals 188.5. What are you thinking? I couldn't agree with him more. This is as big of a game as it gets. The last thing you want is a Game 7 on the road um, with a team on the uh, verge of, of history. You know, Not only are you going to have that momentum going against you, but you're going to have the crowd going against you. And as we've seen in the playoffs, you're going to have the referees going against you. So the last thing Boston wants to do is have to go to Orlando for a Game 7. With that said, we have zero NBA historical data because this has never happened before. Um, in the NBA playoffs, this sequence has never happened in this round where the road team goes up 3 nothing and all of a sudden you're looking at 3-2 with a game six at home. That has not happened. And in all sports, um, with a best-of-seven playoffs, that's actually only happened in the semifinals one time and in all the rounds four times. Wow. So this is as rare of an occasion as you're going to get. Um, with that said, Boston's coming into this game a little hurt, 
like we're hearing. They're not 100%. They're the older team. Um, so definitely the rest factor ha- has come into play. We saw that last game. Um, that was huge. Up until that game, uh, Boston's had breaks in between their home and away. I mean, we saw in the first round the team will play a game on Monday and not have to play again until Thursday. Um, and that benefits a team like Boston. But from game five on, there is four on, excuse me, there's no rest. You get one day in between. And it's going to be like that the rest of the way. So that that's going to be a difficult position for Boston. Um, with that said, I think they have an edge with their backs against the wall. If they weren't an experienced team, Gil, I'd say this team could be in trouble, you know, and hit the panic button. But I really think that the the press, the sports media, um, us included, are the ones who are talking about the pressure more than Boston is. Um, I think this team's confident, to be honest with you. Obviously, you know, the Ray Allen, and and they're going to say the right things. I mean, they were saying that with Game 5 and Game 4. We want to shut it out. We want to end it. That's obviously what you want to do. Um, with that said, I just really don't think this team is going to hit the panic button, um, even if it gets to a Game 7. I think they're experienced enough. Hey, I, I, I honestly... I'm not. I have a, a, the Celtics to win the series, um, and I'm not afraid of that wager at all. Um, tonight has the perfect opportunity for me to hedge that bet um, and possibly even middle it. Uh, this game may get the four. It's already a three and a half, and at four, the opportunity to earn is there. Um, so I haven't decided exactly how we're going to play it. But uh, you know, if you put not even a gun to my head if you just ask me right now who I think is going to win this series if I had to bet it again today um, I, without a doubt I would be betting boss all right so interesting for tonight and of course it could uh, you know there's one of those games also tonight where shoot if, if Orlando were to win this ball game just on a hypothetical just because this kind of thing is always interesting to me if Orlando wins what is that spread in game seven in your opinion Boston at home. Orlando at home. In Orlando. I'm sorry. Excuse me. What am I saying? In Orlando. Orlando, we saw in their last game at home, um, they brought out that line at four, three, whatever, going off at four. Um, I don't think they're going to sway much from there. Uh, The the one factor that is going to be considered for sure, though, is the future action. And not necessarily for the line across, you know, book to book, but I think as a sports better, that's where you could gain an edge, and that's where we're going to see an inefficient market because based on what each individual book has pending for the series, they may adjust here or there. So that's going to be one of those games where I think uh, the shopping is going to come into play, and there will be middle opportunities. But it, it, I don't think the line's going to be higher than four, brother. I think it's going to come out right there around three, and uh, pretty much just giving them respect for being at home and more or less pick the winner, uh, especially since we've seen in this series, in these two teams in the last ten games, only one time has the final score even come within 10 points of the point spread. So the point spread's been pretty much irrelevant when these two teams meet. Uh, more importantly, until Orlando won that home game, only two other times in the last 10 has the home team even won. Um, so it's not a huge home court advantage in this series. We've seen that during the regular season, and we've seen it during the playoffs. Um, the ability for each of these teams to, to win on the road. Uh, so I, I can't see the books bringing it up much higher than four. I would think more. It comes out at three. Okay. Just interesting. Projecting ahead, possibly. Again, the uh, total tonight is 188.5. Tomorrow, game six of the West. Now, this line is curious to me. Phoenix, a one-point favorite over the Lakers. After Phoenix dominated them in games three and four, with some zone D, some just the Lakers' inability to D up on the Suns. What are you thinking there for tomorrow, Saturday? Well, the first game when the Lakers went to, to Phoenix for game four, uh, Phoenix was went off as a one-one-and-a-half-point favorite. 
Um, and the books tried to do that the same for game four. Um, and, and what happened? The betting market thought that the Lakers were value, um, and they bet them up to a favorite. Lakers actually went off at two. I had seen them as high as minus two and a half. Uh, I think if the game didn't end the way it did, they would have brought out the Lakers at a one-point favorite. But because of the way that game ended, and because Phoenix, you know, was able to handle the Lakers at home, you got to make them the favorite. I mean, it's a pick 'em situation, but you're not going to disrespect them by making them a home dog. At least the odds makers not going to do that. And if the betting market does it, that's a different story. Um, what can you say about last night's game, brother? I mean, that was incredible. Yeah. But more importantly, the final score was a bit misleading. Uh, because the Lakers had the game. Yeah. I mean, you know, from the first quarter on, I felt it was the Lakers' game to lose, you know. Um, and the Suns just did a magnificent job there late. Uh, looking ahead, now Phoenix needs to force a Game 7. I mean, that that's the goal. But how big of an impact did that loss have? I mean, that's a tough way to lose. If you go in and you get blown out, you already, your mind by the third quarter, you know, we need to move on to next game. But when you're seconds away from, you know, a possibility to take it to OT, to win this game, you know, and with a chance to close it out in Phoenix, I think that's going to play a role as far as, you know, mentally for this team. And how quick could they come back is going to be the question. You know, to be honest with you, I would not be surprised at all to see the Lakers shut it out and close it out in Phoenix. I would not be surprised with that. You know, to have the Lakers lose three times in Phoenix, um, you know, that's a tough task. And we saw the Lakers beat them in Phoenix during the regular season. So it's not like they can't win there. Um, And for myself, you know, I can't wait for this game. And to be honest with you, uh, it's a game that I'm working on as we speak. Uh, because I do think we're going to be able to uncover some value um, in this one based on public perception of that last game. And that's what you need to remember. You know, the, the betting public's memory is very short, and nothing supports that more than the Orlando series. When Boston went up 3 nothing, everybody was calling Orlando the phonies. They don't deserve to be there. And Boston manhandled them. They're soft. You know, they beat, who did they beat? They beat the Hawks and Charlotte, whatever, in the playoffs. They have done nothing. But before the series started, we were, there was argument they were the best of the four teams right. left. Right. So you see how quickly public perception changes. And then when Orlando won in Boston, I couldn't believe the amount of posts Orlando's going to come back. You know, and then when they won game five, it's Orlando's going to win this series. So from game to game, it shows you just how quickly public perception can change. And I think that's what we're seeing with the Lakers, where now, you know, there's believers that this Phoenix team could force a game seven. I'll tell you the truth. Like I said, I would not be surprised at all if the Lakers closed it out in game six. Historically, this is a 50-50 proposition. That's why I think the, the line of one either way is perfect. Um, or when you look at history, game six in the NBA semifinals, um, when this has been the sequence, you know, with the home team winning the first two, losing the next two, holding serve in game five, they've gone on in game six and won seven and lost seven, a perfect 500 record. Um, and in all rounds of the NBA playoffs, it's 22-20 and 20 for that team that's up 3-2. So, I mean, this is as, fi- as much of a 50-50 proposition, I think, as you're going to get. Um, with that said, I think mentally the Lakers are in a better spot right now than Phoenix is. Your, uh, your NBA record-keeping for the playoffs, or, or your access to that, is phenomenal, by the way. I always love hearing what the scenarios are and what the percentages are and the scenarios of who wins what, home team, road team, based on it, the it round. It helped me in so much. I, honestly, yeah. I, I destroy the Major League Baseball playoffs um, with that being a big 
part of my handicap, and obviously I do everything else that I do during the regular season and what I change for the playoffs, but the historical data, um, believe it or not, has helped me do so much more damage in the NBA playoffs because in Major League Baseball postseason because you have such a huge sample size, man, and some things, you know, history repeats itself. You know, when, when teams are down 3 nothing, and you have a huge sample size of what happens, you know, you could find value just looking at the historical data. So that's something I'm always going to look for. And that's why this Orlando-Boston Game 6 is so difficult, because I don't have that data. Yeah, and we should mention, uh, just for the housekeeping purposes, Kendrick Perkins did have the technical foul rescinded, one of the two that he received in Game 5, which keeps him under the seven technical uh, threshold, so he gets to play uh, according to the gods of the NBA here in Game 6 tonight. And just from a scheduling standpoint, if either of these series advances to Game 7, we don't have any days off here over the weekend, which is wonderful. Game 7 in Orlando would be on Sunday evening. Game 7 in L.A. would be on Monday evening. So could be a whole weekend of basketball if it goes that way. At the very least, Gil, at the very least, they gave us a series Yes. And they gave us more games to bet, <laughs> you know, yeah. as, as sports bettors for me. That's a bonus. So I'm happy. The one thing I don't like about these playoffs, to be honest with you, I, I don't mind the sweeps in the last round. If you're better than a team and you could sweep them, you sweep them. You know, I mean, obviously I want more games to bet on. We want more excitement. We don't want to see that. But at the end of the day, if you're that much better and you could sweep a team, more power to you. I don't like the way these conference finals have been going because the referees have played such a huge role mm -hmm. in how this series is going. I mean, the data supports that. You can't argue that. You know, a game uh, in Orlando, the last game, game five, I mean, when you get three Boston players, two fouls in the first quarter, you know, you pretty much handcuff them. They're a physical team that relies on their defense. So, I mean, and then we see game three, game four in Phoenix, where Phoenix went to the free throw line 76 times. You know, that kind of stuff I don't like as a sports better or as a sports fan. And I think the NBA needs to do a better job of that, and they need to, to get these officials to just officiate the game and not get caught up with the crowd or, you know, with making the series come back. But then again, you know, like Tim Donahue said, it is the NBA offices that put these pressures on these refs to call a game a certain way. But that's the only thing that's bothered me about, you know, the way these series have gone. Well, I think what, what you're saying is, and, and uh, forgive me uh, for those who listened to my podcast with Marco yesterday, but I started in with him on this subject, and, and you sound like you're of my mind on this. And I guess you guys, did you guys do a video podcast sort of based on that yesterday? Yeah, yes, we did. I said we have to cover it because everyone's talking about it. Yeah. Everyone's talking about the fixed NBA. And I'm not saying, uh, there's no way, I'm not even thinking it that these refs are betting the games. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm not saying they're fixing the games. What I'm saying is the league is putting pressure on these refs to call the game a certain way. And the way they're calling the game is, from what I see, to lengthen the series, and that's what they've been doing. I'm not saying they're betting these games, but they are giving certain teams an advantage. I mean, you can't deny that. Look at yesterday with Phoenix. The fouls called on them early. Anyway, you can't, you know, when, when Phoenix goes to the free throw line 76 times, at home, yeah. how can you say they didn't get an edge? Right. You know? Yeah, and I'm, I'm saying the exact same thing you are. And it's funny because when you bring it up, people immediately think, oh, you think it's fixed. No, I, I, I'm the same way. I'm, I don't think it's fixed at all. What I'm saying is that, you know, what I said yesterday was in baseball, you have umpires who are behind home plate and they are in such their little zone, it doesn't matter what ballpark they're in. In, in football, even if a road team comes in and wins in the playoffs, you get the sense you're like, or if a, if a home team wins in the playoffs, 
it's not because the refs are involved. It's because they've got the raucous crowd. They were a better team, you know, going in to get that home field advantage. And if a visiting team wins, you re- they really do win on merit alone. But in the NBA, there's something inherent in the nature of those crowds being right on top of the court. It's just an endemic thing to the sport where these refs, even beyond what you're saying in terms of lengthening the series, I just think there's a human element to the fact that they get wrapped up in the energy in the building, and they call it a certain way. And that's what the average fan, and when I say the average fan, I mean it's a big sentiment with people, and the Tim Donahue thing brought it to light. That's why people don't... Uh, have the same feeling about the NBA, the average guy I'm talking about, because they really do think to themselves, can Phoenix really win this series because of that, you know? Yeah, and they don't trust it, and you're absolutely right. And, I mean, we got to bring his name up, man. Tim Donahue, I mean, what the man says is supported by the data. I mean, if you've been listening to him throughout the playoffs, everything he's saying has been happening on the court that's what's transpired i mean when the guy says you know this is what's going to happen and it happens it's not coincidence you know and we've seen that i mean the guy actually has called it out and said you know phoenix is going to win game three at home because they're going to make them let them win at home they're going to call it a certain way and he's not saying it's fixed what he is saying is this and it's simple for the playoffs, the NBA playoffs, and we, I think we covered this before, they appoint a commissioner for the series. And before the game, that commissioner, day of the game, watches the film of the last game with that officiating crew for that night. And what that commissioner points out is their mistakes. Now, as their boss, he could make them call the game a certain way. That's the bottom line. If they're watching game film and they keep hearing over and over, you're not calling that traveling on Rondo. You're not calling those elbows on Garnett. You know, you're not calling that foul on this or that or this or that. All of a sudden, they go into the game looking for those, you know, scenarios to happen. And as soon as they do or even appear like they do, they'll call those fouls because it was put in their head that they missed it the last time out. So what I'm saying is here they go. They're going in with a game plan already, you know, because their boss is telling them what to look out for. And I think that influences the way they call it. And then on top of it, like you said, they get caught up. With, yeah. the, with the crowd and with the emotion, and they're so on top of you, you know, if you go to an NBA game, unlike the NFL, where, you know, the, the closest seats are 50 yards away, you know, and it does. It, it influences them a lot, and I think that's a problem, and it's something the NBA definitely needs to address. Now, you're, you're going to laugh at me, VR, but some of what, what I'm doing right here for my own entertainment, and I've done this before, is I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever thought to go to Tim Donahue's Facebook page. But it is a fascinating viewpoint. This guy, he'll post his thoughts on all the NBA stuff. And earlier in the playoffs, he was predicting, you know, the Atlanta-Orlando series. He actually posts stuff. And, um, you know, just from recent here's from Tuesday. Did anyone see that Boston versus Orlando game last night? This is a Donahue post. The NBA did exactly what I thought. Nothing like trying to extend a series. Orlando received every close call. Same as Phoenix did in the West. It's like they used my book in the pregame meeting. So he's talking schmack. He's talking schmack. Wait. And, he, and he's calling it. He's saying it before the game. He has said it on the Dan Patrick show. He, he's he said it countless times. That here's what's going to happen tonight. And where I'm surprised, and, and honestly, what, what caught me off guard is I'm thinking, if I'm hearing about it and everybody's reading it, obviously it's gotten to Stern and it's gotten to the NBA hierarchy. Aren't they aware of this? And as a handicapper, it's confused me a little bit because, you know, I take that the, the route sometimes of, wait, if they're seeing this, then are they going to have the referees and and tell the refs, hey, you know, this is what everyone's talking about, so we can't let you do that. You know, we, you got to be careful. But it seems to me like they don't even care. 
Um, so, you know, you could take advantage of that Tim Donahue information is what I think. <laughs> this is Donahue from Wednesday. I'll only read a couple more of these VR, but they're so they're so fascinating to me. Wednesday, Tim Donahue on his, on his Facebook page. Post, Dan Patrick still couldn't admit today that the NBA has issues that need to be fixed. He used every excuse he could find to stick up for the NBA. I told Dan Patrick what would happen in the Phoenix-LA game and how it was a blueprint that I used to write my book. It played out just perfect. And the final post here from just, uh, this is just yesterday now. I emailed Todd Fritz, the producer of the Dan Patrick Show, on Wednesday afternoon. I told him that I'm not in the business of predicting NBA games, but to show Dan that the blueprint in my book still works, I told him Orlando would win by several points. Exactly. And, and let me t- let, let's take this a bit further. I, I know we got other things to cover, and I'm sorry for this. No, 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 but please. Coming from, from Philly, being... Uh, knowing the crew that was moving his action, he went to Cardinal O'Hara. That that's one of the suburbs, the schools in the suburbs of Philadelphia. And if you're going to bet in Philly, there there's certain outfits you're going to bet through, you know. And the one that he bet through, everybody knows. Anyway, to make a long story short, during the season, and and this is the only thing I don't like about Dunahee is is that he lies as far as his ability to handicap and during the regular season you know he was saying how he was 70 percent and you know he he was making his own bets and winning um before fixing games um that to me is is where the lies come in um not that he wouldn't get himself you know people say oh if he's 70 percent you know then he would have never got jammed up with the books that's not true as we know from being in the industry that you could give the guy a guy all the winners in the world if he don't bet correctly he could get in a hole oh, yeah. regardless you know so so that part i don't get you know i'm not going to support but everyone i spoke to back there that had any something not something to do with it that just knew the situation let's put it that way has said to me the exact thing is this they didn't want his picks his own picks during the regular season in fact when he was trying to give it to them the exact words were dude keep them to yourself bet them elsewhere we want the games you're fixing that's the only ones they wanted and that makes sense to me because of this during the regular season 82 games you're going to have you know a lot most are meaningless you know so it's hard to predict how the referees are going to, you know, officiate a game and find a big edge based on that officiating crew. That's why I don't believe he was able to hit it that high of a percentage rate. But in the playoffs, I think he would be able to because the officiating crew, you know, does play such a major factor. And about how we talked about how he has the commissioner, you know, before the game, their commissioner for the series and stuff. So I think that that, if anything, supports the fact that during the playoffs, especially, you can hand, you need to handicap the referees, and you need to look back at what happened the previous game and say that you know in the next game, if they're switching where they're playing from home and away, you know you're going to get that zigzag. And I believe that in the past, that's why that zigzag worked so well, the zigzag theory, right. because this was happening. I mean, everything the guy says supports it. But during the regular season, I don't think, you know, that's accurate because of the fact, you know, the referee isn't going to play as, as big of a role in the game as they do, I think, in the playoffs. And there's the agenda to have one team beat another isn't going to be the same in the regular season as it is in the playoffs. You know, they're just going to call the game. So, I, you know, that's the only part of his stories that I don't like, and that's what makes you think and doubt him. But everything the guy's been saying in the playoffs, brother, has been happening. So, I mean, you know, how, how can you deny it? How can you argue it? And you actually said something in their VR, and I heard you sort of chuckle when you said it, too, because it really is true. Isn't the zigzag theory really that in the end? Isn't it that sort of bias that we're talking about? That's what the zigzag theory really comes down to. Exactly. And and before, you know, all this came out and before the Internet and before, you know, betters became more sophisticated, we didn't know why it happened. We just knew it worked. Yeah. Now, with, with a referee stepping up and telling us, yes, this is what we're told to do, 
now you look back and say, damn, that's why the zigzag worked so well. Mm -hmm. Somewhere VR, the Sacramento Kings are crying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree, brother. I agree 100%. <laughs> the Maloofs are dying. Yeah, big time. All right. So let's talk baseball today. Uh, full slate of games, Memorial Day weekend, uh, one day game rivalry between the Cardinals and the Cubs, and then a whole bunch of games at night. As you just pour up and down the board, um, what leaps off the page for you? A lot of good games, like you said. And even with these NBA playoffs, I've been able to find a lot of value in baseball. I've, you know, I've been doing really well in baseball because of the NBA playoffs, I think. Um, and we've, we've been discussing this in every podcast, but it's true. You know, the, you're paying more money for the favorites. Not that you're not going to find value in some favorites, but there are certain favorites that are going to be way overpriced because of the fact the books already know these are going to be tied in um, with parlayed with the basketball game. And that's what I'm seeing today with, with teams like, you know, Atlanta already up to 175s, and you see the Boston's up to 200s. Their games at the books, Toronto, that the books know are going to be parlayed in with the NBA. So right away, the one thing that jumps out at me, honestly, and I want to tell the listeners, during these NBA playoffs, when there's a game at night, stay away from those anything over minus 160 because those are the games that you're really getting the worst of it because the books know going in these are what's going to be tied in these are what's going to determine our day so you're not going to get value and if anything look to the dog now looking at today's card in general um a lot of interesting games start off in the national league to be honest with you I want to see how what Philly does. Here's a team that is just not playing well at all. At all. Um, at all. I mean, they're playing their worst ball, and yet Florida's getting no respect. Look at this line. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it, it, the Philly name still carries weight, and I think what that shows us is this. The market is slow to adjust, and that's where sharp betters could take advantage. No one wants to come to the uh, conclusion that Philly may not be as good as we thought they were. Um, perfect example is the, the Angels. You know, we've gotten so used to the Angels being the team in the West, being the most dominant team, being the team we expect to represent the West and, and win the division, that betters just haven't caught on to, you know what, this year they're just not that good of a team. And I think it's teams like that that we need to, you know, go against and find, you know, spots to really bet against them. I mean, you know, when, when you have a team, like I said, like L.A., um, Boston, uh, you know, Boston's above 500 now because they went on a run, but teams like that, which we expect year in and year out to play great ball, the market just doesn't adjust quick enough, Gil. And we don't want to believe that they just may not be as good as we thought they were. And I think it's those teams you could really zero in on and make a score betting against. Where other teams um, that we don't want to believe are good, you need the ride, the Cincinnati's. You know, for how many years have they been bad? So betters don't want to believe that. Are they really good? You know, the San Diego Padres, are they really a good team? And I think you can find value betting these teams, even when they're a favorite, because they're still so undervalued. The market has not caught up. And those are the kind of positions that I'm always looking for. And although I do my daily handicapping, and I, although I do my projections slash models for each game, I always look at the standings and I always circle certain teams. And going into the week, these are the teams that I'm either looking for positions to fade or looking for positions to bet because I make my overvalued and undervalued list every week. And I think this team's undervalued, this team's overvalued. And then, I, you know, I, I base my handicapping on that concept. And what teams would you say? I'm, I'm guessing in the National League, the teams that have that sort of weight to them when you first see them in, in a matchup, the Phillies and the, I would say the Cardinals also in the NL have that sort of feel when you see them, where you're like, oh, people always overvalue the Cardinals no matter what? 
absolutely, absolutely. Um, in the West, we always the Dodgers. Yep. What do you think of when you think of the West? The best team that's always going to win the NL West is the Dodgers. Yep. NL Central, like you said, is St. Louis. Now in the East, you know, it's Philadelphia. You know, they've gotten the most respect. You know, move over to the American League. And you see, you know, the Central, we never know who's going to do well. You know, that one's right. always wide open. Right. So, you know, you can't really pick there. But look at the West. You know, no one wants to believe yet. You know, Oakland, is Oakland a good team? You know, oh, is Texas going to fade like they always do? You know, is L.A. can't be bad. L.A.'s projected to win that division. You know, so I, I really think betters don't take advantage enough of of looking at teams as overvalued and undervalued. They pay too much attention to strictly on the name of the starting pitcher, and, and that's about it. And then they look for supporting data, you know, which you'll always find. If you look hard enough, you'll find, you know, reasons to bet something you like. If that's all you're looking for, you're going to find the stats, you're going to find the trends that support your pick. But that's not what's going to make you a long-term winner. And I think more bettors need to do that and, and sit down for a minute with, with all sports. And right, what teams going into this week do you think are either overvalued by the market or undervalued by the market? And then look for positions to back them or fade them. And then next week, look back at your work and say, you know, was I right or was I wrong? And has the market caught up or haven't they yet? I mean, you know, there's so much you could take advantage of. There's so many different ways to handicap and find value. And I don't think, you know, we explore enough of them. We find something that works and we want to stick to it. But I, I think as handicappers, the most successful ones are the ones that are able to evolve and keep bringing more into their game. You, you always say stuff that, that always piques my curiosity, and you said something right there again, which I think is such a huge... I mean, there, there was something you said there about, um, you know, you can always find data to support your initial notion. And I think w what that distills right there is to me a key central point of handicapping, which is... We all have human biases. We're all human beings, so we come into things, even though we'd like to think we're a clean slate when we come into anything, uh, and specifically in our case, any sort of matchup in any sport, we like to think we're a clean slate. But we all have biases. So the ability to counter your bias, so even if you delve into a game and you want to support, we often say, boy, I was looking for a reason to support Team X. The ability, though, to say... And the ability to, 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 to discipline yourself and say, but you know what? As much as I wanted them to be the play, the data simply won't allow me to do that. That is such a key talent, wouldn't you say? That's what separates uh, the professional from the amateur, and that's what separates a winning better from uh, a winning better at the next level, you know, uh, winning better squared, um, is being able to do that. Because as sports better, you have to be confident. If you don't have confidence, you'll never be a winning better. You have to have a slight ego to you, you know, or else you're not going to have confidence. If you don't have confidence, you're not going to beat the books. So there's a, a good side to that and there's a bad side to that. The bad side to that is you know, sometimes we don't want to admit we're wrong, you know, as handicappers. Mm -hmm. But if, if the work and data supports that, you've got to be willing to admit that. And like I said, the biggest weakness I think that, that most handicappers have is that when they look at a game, or even if they're, they're sharp enough to set a price before they look at, at what the odds makers say it is, when they, they in their mind have circled the team then they kind of biased all the information they gather, and they want to find information that supports that. And the biggest, you know, example I could set of what separates the pros from the amateurs is when I was a runner, I would actually know that we were looking for Celtics minus five. You know, that's what the handicappers were talking about in the morning while we were, you know, having a cigarette and, and, and drinking coffee. And all of a sudden, over the two-way, four hours later, because the line was seven and a half, now they want us to take their opponent, Atlanta. Because at seven and a half, that's where the value is on the dog. You know, here's guys that their intentions were to bet, that, you know, Boston. That's who they liked. But because the line went to seven and a half, because they handicapped it a little deeper, 
they were willing to change their opinion in an instant. And I think enough betters aren't willing to do that. And nothing supports that, Gil, more than the fact of watching over and over sports betters take the bad number because they don't care. They, they already know they're going to take it. This is who we like. You know, it's like people that bet the Lakers um, in game five or like game four or whatever in Phoenix, the ones that waited and went ahead and laid minus two, two and a half, that supports what I just said more than anything. Because here they are coming in saying they like the Lakers, and the Lakers opened up as a dog. But their their intentions were to bet the Lakers. And now that it's two, two and a half, that's irrelevant to them. Nothing changes. And to the professional, though, everything changes if that happens. And that enough handicappers and sports bettors just haven't reached that you know that mark yet where they have the ability to do that, and that's what I think is holding them back from you know taking it to that next level. That is a fabulous point, and I'm just going to let that marinate because that that says a lot right there. That is the difference again between a pro and then what I like to call the sort of self-fulfilling prophecy um, approach, which is here's the team I like and. I'm going to find something that makes me feel good about it. Oh, there it is. There's one thing. Yes, I'm doing it. It doesn't matter what the price is kind of thing. Exactly. And like I said, you know, and how can you disagree? If you want to find information that supports what you think, and you're always going to find it, man. You know what yep. I mean? It's out there. But that does you no good. You know, you're just wasting your time. Like I say with write-ups and stuff, you know, when when when, when cappers – have a team and and they have their little reason for taking it but then they go around the net and they they find all kind of information and supporting data to pass along to the client you know make themselves seem sharper you know than they really are when when i mean the real reason had why they're betting the game had nothing to do with that write-up i'm not you know calling anybody out i'm just saying you know betters in general and handicappers in general you see that all the time and you know as recreational players i see that more than anything where that perfect example was game four in phoenix where i was hearing people at the sports book their reasoning for taking the lakers at minus two oh that's oh they steamed it you know, now it's steam so now they're willing to lay two that's a three-point move so they steamed it you know i mean if you want to find the reason bro to bet a game you're going to find it how many of those and, what would you say the percentage of those people that actually do what steaming meant was <laughs> i'd say about 20 percent yeah. had any clue <laughs> That's so funny. All right, now this—I don't know if I'm supposed to say this, VR, uh, because it—it—it it, it, it involves having the two—the two people that, for me, comprise the pregame franchise in one location at one time on Earth. But you and Mike Hook have yourselves a nice weekend this weekend, don't you? Planned? Oh, brother, we are going to UFC, and uh, like I told, I, he's one of the most respected guys as far as I, I'm concerned when it comes to MMA. He knows the game. He loves the game. He follows it. I mean, you know, and I'm impressed just from speaking with him. I know the guy knows his stuff when it comes to MMA. Um, so I'm excited. I put him to work, and I said, dude, I'll even buy your card if I have to. But I want winners that night because I'm ready to bet them. I don't care if it's a minus 500. I just want winners. And you guys so are looking forward to a big weekend, brother, going to a nice dinner and going and watching the fights. And I can't wait, dude. I can't wait, and I'm going to have, have the big gun Mike right there telling me who to take. I, I do my own MMA handicapping as well, but like I told him, if we agree on something, I'm unloading. Yeah, and you guys, and that's what you touched on right there, you guys are actually attending. You are going to this. Yes, sir. We will be on the floor at UFC for Rampage and Rashad. Uh, we're totally looking for you, too. Totally gonna 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 see if we can see you on the screen. So you have you have Rampage Rashad uh, opinion, do you? Absolutely, and and I'm gonna pass it along. I, I like Jackson, man. Uh, you know, I respect Rashad Evans more than anything. I think he's an excellent, well-rounded fighter, possibly more well-rounded than than Rampage. But there's a difference in power here, and even though they're both 205, Quinton has the height advantage, and he has the strength advantage. And his ability to avoid the takedowns, which is Rashad's biggest strength, his wrestling, is the difference maker. As well as, we know Rampage could take a shot, 
we know he could take a punch and he'll be able to take whatever Rashad hands him. But on the flip side, we know Rashad doesn't have that, that ability to take that big of a shot. You know, he's been knocked out. And I think that's the difference maker right there. And now we have a very motivated Rampage Jackson. And I think because of the fact everyone's seeing he took the year off, was on the A team, I think there's even betting value there. For him to be a dog in this fight, even though it's only plus 105, plus 110, I mean, that's as much of a slap in the face. This is one of the best light heavyweights of all time. Uh, Anyone that knows him from Pride will definitely agree with me there. Um, And it's such a huge disrespect to make this man the underdog that, uh, to me, it's even though I want to see him beat Rashad up, you know, uh, I just think (laughs) as as a better. Uh, there's value there. Having him as a dog is a lot of value. I mean, the guy's been in 37 professional fights, and he's only lost two times in the last five years. And the one was because he underestimated, you know, and he says it to this day. He didn't, you know, no disrespect, but he had no respect for Forrest Griffin, and I don't blame him for that. And he went in overconfident, cocky, and didn't train. Other than that, the guy's got one loss in the last five years, and he's fought the best. And you're going to make him a dog, you know, to to someone who, you know, Rashad is who he is, you know. He's a great fighter, not taking anything away from him. But I don't think he's at the level of where he could be a favorite over Rampage. I might be proved wrong, you know, come Saturday night. But going in, I think that's where the value is. And uh, yeah, and I assume you're just you're doing it just as a straight bet. Any of these props, sort of. Uh... Look, look I, I interesting. like great bet in MMA. Uh, one reason only, there's always the, the, the submission factor. Uh, unlike boxing, can happen in MMA to make the way the outcome you know, happens more unpredictable. You know, in boxing, you see a fight, you could tell this one's going to go to a decision. You could tell this one's not going to get past the eighth round. Yeah. But when it comes to MMA... Because of the submission factor, you know, because there's so many different ways to get the win, um, I think it's very dangerous to to look for props and try to determine the way your guy's going to win it. Okay, I like that. Anything on the undercard? How about that? Uh, Great fights, great fights. Um, Some of them are are just too high a price for me. You know, um, know, there's some... Minus 500s that I don't think can lose. You know, like Efren Escondero's not going to lose. Melvin Gillard's not going to lose. Um, he's got a guy that he's fighting on, on such short notice. You know, guys like that, they're not going to lose. Don't even look for value on the dog. But there is one dog that Mike passed along to me. And after I looked deeper and deeper, I got to give him credit for picking this out because this kid doesn't get the respect he deserves, um, this fighter. And it's... Dong Young Kim against Amir Sadala. Sadala, ultimate fighter. Um, we saw when they didn't handpick his opponents, he's not at that level caliber fighter yet. And after losing, the UFC went back and they handpicked his last two opponents and they made it, you know, gave him fights that he more or less couldn't lose. You know, Brad Blackburn and Phil Baroni were two fights this kid was not going to lose because both were going to go to a decision. Neither was going to submit him. Neither was going to knock him out. Now he's fighting somebody that will be able to end it a lot quicker. Um, And I think the UFC has just gotten a lot of heat for handpicking his last two opponents because when they did throw him in there after, you know, he won that, that the ultimate fighter against a real fighter and he lost, you know, they got, if, if you win the, the ultimate fighter and you get that $100,000 contract and you lose your first two or three fights, that show has no credibility. Right. No one's going to want to follow it. This fighter ain't going to become anyone, anything anyway. So they got to hype these fighters up a little and they gave them two hand picked opponents. But the, you know, uh, the fans really saw that and gave them a lot of heat. So now all of a sudden they're going to put him in against a, a guy that could fight. And uh, I think he's going to have a lot of trouble here. I definitely am looking to back Kim in this one. All right. So Kim in the undercard as a slight dog against Amir Sadala. I like it. And I give the credit to Mike Hook who, who uncovered that one. And I was able to do a little of my own work. And I think he's dead on. 
be sure to give Hook a you know a man hug from me when you see him. I appreciate it. Absolutely, that. brother. Absolutely. And you got to, and of course you have uh, Quentin Jackson uh, in the main event. Um, for the rest of us who aren't privileged enough to be at the Mandalay Bay, that'll of course be uh, televised on Spike TV, which is always something that I search for desperately on my TV. So just so I know that it's Spike going in, uh, not the not the main event that is that's on pay per view. The undercard, absolutely. The undercard. Um, before I let you go, VR, I would be remiss because this is your hometown Philadelphia Flyers. I know we're not hockey guys first, but just for giggles, how do you feel about your team headed into Game 1 against the Blackhawks of the Stanley Cup Finals? Uh, you know, Philly's got an excellent shot at winning this one. Um, they really do. It's going to be tough to win in Chicago. Chicago has such a, a strong home ice edge. Uh, they only lost 11 times there this year. And because of the fact they have the home ice, um, I have to agree, you know, and make them the favorite. But the Flyers are playing so well right now. And we've seen historically how when a goalie gets hot, they could single-handedly win a series. Yep. Unlike other sports, you know, where your pitcher is, even in, in when the Yankees did it with, with, you know, giving guys two days rest or whatever, um, bottom line is you're going to need two, three guys to go out there and get the job done. Um, in football, you need a team. You know, in basketball, we haven't seen Star win a championship. They always need a Batman needs a Robin. We've seen that over and over. In hockey, we've seen a goalie single-handedly take a team to the Stanley Cup, win a series. Um, you know, we've seen Cujo do that a million times. Yeah, I could Hasek did it for Buffalo forever. And I think right now Michael Layton is playing some of the best hockey I've seen as far as goaltending, you know, in the playoffs. In, in three of the last five games, he's allowed zero goals. And when a guy's that on point, it's tough to beat him. So I think if he could carry that momentum, they really have a shot to win this series. If I was forced to bet it, I would definitely go with the Flyers here, to be honest with you. And I'm not just talking coming from Philadelphia. You know, this this team's playing at the they're, – they're just peaking at the perfect time. Flyers plus 220 for the series against the Blackhawks. Blackhawks minus 260 coming the other way. And tonight, game one, Flyers are at plus 170. And the Blackhawks at minus 200. All right. I'll keep that in mind as well. All right. I think we pretty much covered it. Memorial Day weekend, basketball, baseball, hockey, UFC, baby. And you're going to be in Vegas at the event. We'll be looking to see if we can spot you two, you and Mike Hook, in the crowd. Cool. Dude, enjoy. It sounds like you're outside and you're having fun already. Yeah, absolutely, brother. I can't wait. It's going to be a great weekend, great betting weekend for everybody. So, fellas, enjoy yourself. Don't be afraid to step up to the window and fire away. And uh, make sure you keep a lookout for VR and Mike on uh, UFC Fight Night. Absolutely. Dude, have a great time. And again, from me to you, sir, just on a personal level, I thank you for all that you have uh, supported me on here early on at pregame.com. So thank you, sir. My pleasure, man. Continued success. And uh, just keep kicking ass in baseball like you've been doing, brother. All right. I'll try to do that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. VR, Vegas runner, everybody. The weekend show here at the betting door. Gil Alexander, thank you so much for listening. As VR said, have a great betting weekend.